Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another outstanding edition of Ghost Chronicles International on a new night for the time being, anyways, uh, right here on Pararex and Tojinet Radio and wherever else it's being broadcast, rebroadcast, or whatever. I am Ron Colt, your host, and with me all the way across the pond is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Stephen Parsons. Good evening. Well, no, good night. It's, it's yeah, new slot, new time. It's much later. Yes, that it is. Hey, you know, the last show uh, we did with uh, Bauer, and we mm-hmm. looked at light anomalies, and I started the show with a little excerpt from Christopher Columbus, and you mentioned time. Uh, yes. And so that intrigued me, so I went and I did some research on, on time, and they actually, they did tell time. It wasn't very accurate, but they did tell time. So they actually used, um, sun, not sundials, um, what do you call those things? Hourglasses. Actually, um, I was going to start off with an apology because I said last time they couldn't tell the time at night. Yeah. And because how did he get the sundial to work? But um, <laughs> when we finished on air, I went off and did some checking because I had a little niggly doubt in the back of my mind. Yeah, me too. You put a little doubt in mine. I thought I'd been a bit harsh. No. So I did some checking, and apparently, yeah, they could tell the time uh, quite accurately using star shots. Yeah, star shots too was another way. They had a whole system. I looked. Except when, so obviously, they didn't know what time it was when it was clowning. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, it was intriguing. And, and no, it's good you brought the uh, you brought the uh, you know that point up because I as soon as you thought about it, I had my doubts already. Uh, you were just being as annoying as usual, so I, I yeah, just but kind of I had to go it, check. I wanted to make anyway. sure I was being properly annoying. Yeah, me too. And uh, you put, like I said, you put doubts in my mind. So, anyways, that's that's solved, and uh, that's how science works. I'm going to talk a little bit more of it on the Monday show uh, next Monday. Uh, I'll discuss. Uh, Time. Uh, anyways, we do have a guest tonight, and speaking of time, and we better bring him on. He is uh, John Kozik. Did I say that right, John? You did, yes. Hello. Yes, and you are the curator of the Talking Salem's Talking Board Museum. I got that right? Uh, Salem Witchboard Museum, which is a talking oh, board damn. or Ouija board museum. Yep. <laughs> So close. <laughs> so close. We got to put Salem in there, you know. Yeah, I got that part right. But that was the only thing <laughs> I did. But I, you had Witchboard. That's right. I forgot Salem Witches. That's what it would call. So, uh, welcome to the show. And uh, you are a uh, collector of Ouija boards. I am. I'm a, I've been a longtime collector. And uh, besides opening a museum with the collection, I'm also part of the Talking Board Historical Society, which I think you're a little familiar with. That's Robert Murch is the president. <laughs> And um, we're a registered nonprofit, and we research, preserve, and celebrate that history of talking boards. So pretty talking boards, Ouija boards, um, I'm 
very much <laughs> obsessed with at this point, you could say, or possessed, you know, some might say. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I also have another friend up here well, that I've known for a while uh, who was also collected, too, and he is Jason Robito. Oh, sure. I know Jason. I know his wife, his wife Heather. Uh, we saw yeah. them actually Valentine's Day out in a, out in a restaurant. Uh, Jason's, yeah, a very long-time collector. So I know him, know him pretty well. Yeah, uh, I've had him on the show, and I've done a couple of events with him as well. And, uh, Steve, you would love him because he is also very much into, uh, uh, what do you call those things, uh, treasure hunting with those metal detectors. Metal detecting, that's what he is. <laughs> oh, yeah. How did you get on with the metal detector you got from the thrift store? Uh, it's pretty good, pretty good. I'm learning more and more about it and haven't found anything rich and but uh, yeah, it's a nice, nice little uh, metal detector. But anyways, yeah. back to uh, John. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you were in Salem last time you were here, Stephen, right? I was, and I visited the museum. Did you? I did. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. And, that was uh, only, what, back back in October, wasn't it? Was it that? Yep, I thought it was like it. Go ahead. Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we came down on the, uh, the day of the parade. Um, the first Thursday of uh, October, spent the day there, and uh, I came in, had had a good look around the museum, um, because I hadn't noticed it the year before, so I'm guessing it's new. When did yeah, start, no, it start? Uh, sorry, I was going to say, no, it was brand new, it had just opened um, in August, so I'm glad you were able to get there uh, in October. Um yeah, so I wanted to be open before October, being the obviously mm-hmm. Salem. Everything kind of dies out by the end of the year, and um, no, so it's a brand fairly new museum. It's only been around six months now. So, yeah, oh, wow. as I say, I, I, I mean, I we I come over every every fall, and uh, I know Salem well. We 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 spend a day there each year, and uh, yeah, I when I came back, I went, hey, I've discovered a new museum does all Ouija board stuff. It's really cool. And Steve has a collection himself, uh, not as extensive as yours, I'm sure. but uh, <laughs> Certainly nowhere near as extensive. But I've yeah. got some old ones, you know, I've got some that go back to the 1890s, um, some of the Salem-made boards as well, and, of course, they're British equivalents, which were made by Waddington Games under license to Parker. Sure. There's a lot of UK boards that actually I, I don't have. I always I always hunt for uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, the Ouija table. Uh, yeah, the UK had plenty of great boards that came out and fairly rare these days. I'm glad you... I, I'm, I'm glad. I've got one or two then in the collection that you probably haven't got because you just mentioned two that I do have. Oh, nice. Excellent. But so, uh, our mutual uh, co-host as well, Anne, uh, turned up at uh, Spirit Quest, didn't she, this year, um, with uh, one of the, uh, the Hasbro Mel- trays. Melanite tray, yeah, Melanite tray yeah, ones. One of the Hasbro trays. The um... oh, well, It is right. Hasbro, isn't it? It's the tray. Yeah, it is Hasbro. <laughs> well, let's Has- ask John. Has- he's, Has- he's more of an expert than you and I. Yeah. John, do you, do you know what we're talking about? Do you know what we're talking talk, about? I think I'm catching a Ouija tray. Is that what you're mentioning? Yes. Yeah, and we're just trying yes. to remember the manufacturer. Oh, the Hasco or Hascalite, probably from the 1940s. John? Is that what you think? The 1940s, is it that era of tray? 
yeah, it's definitely nineteen forties. Right. Um, but I just couldn't. Uh, was it Hasbro or Has- Hasco? Huh? Ha- Hasco with a K. Hasco or Hasco or Hascalite is the, the the other company. It's also known by. Yeah. Because she, or she'll tell you later, uh, later uh, on. Um, but she she turned up uh, with it very very proud. I was very envious. I've got the board version um, of the Hasco Mystic. Oracle, I think, if it's something. I know it's got a genie on the front, um, embossed onto it. Uh, but but Anne had found the tray, which is really cool. Yeah, but the other thing that a lot of people don't notice is the is you're talking about the tray that has like a witch in the bottom left corner. Uh, I can't remember what. No, hers is. Well, they've both got the genie on. The designs the same, but mine's the board, and Anne has got the tray. But I. Don't know if the tray comes with a planchette because hers it, didn't. But I don't yeah, know if it should have. It ah, should have. Well, but she's missing. She's missing yeah, the planchette. It's just called Mystic Hands, but it's harder. The That's older it. boards that you try to find, usually the planchettes are, are separated from them, lost, broken, or mixed with another game or something. So it's, it's uh-huh, fairly hard uh-huh. to find. As rare as a board is, a planchette can often be much rarer. Which is the rarest? Is it the board or the tray? Um, it depends on which which piece you're talking about, which specific board or planchette. But in general, uh, the planchette is usually rarer than the board. No matter uh-huh. what the rarest board is that we've seen, um, usually the planchette is much rarer. When did, there is one question I was um, that I've always wanted to ask, which is, when did they switch over from solid wood boards to the fiber uh, wood board? They started it right around like the 1930s as um, pretty much just cheaper production, you know, cheaper to make the boards, and that technology came in. So like the 1930s when it starts going to like a pressed wood, and then eventually uh-huh. over by the 40s to lithograph to eventually uh, masonite. And, I mean, there's a few people that held on to making wooden boards, you know, up later into like even to the 60s and the 70s. But in general, uh, as, as these other pieces came available, they just lowered the cost by doing stuff. So like 19, for, for the person that owns the trademark of Ouija back then, which was, would have been William Fold, uh, he started switching over from wooden boards to like a pressed wood, like 1930s. Wow, that's cool. That's cause I. I was never sure of the date uh, when they switched over or why, because I've seen other similar games from that period where they've used solid wood, but over time the wood is warped, and I, I wondered whether they'd use the pressed wood and the masonite in order just to keep the damn thing flat. No, I. I think it was definitely a cost more more cost um, related as uh-huh. opposed to thinking that you know they're warping or anything like that. Um, yeah, just cheaper. Sort of like how the planchette went from being wood to eventually being plastic. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. cheaper to produce. Mm-hmm. How many are in the museum now, Joe? Uh, in the museum is roughly roughly 120 or so wow. boards. <laughs> and it's about, so right now, the majority of the museum is, is my collection, and it's about uh-huh. half of my collection. Um, wow. The other pieces that are not from my collection are on loan um, through, like, the Talking Board Historical Society. There's some boards that were uh, have some backstories of being perceived as haunted or having uh-huh. um, being uh-huh. troublesome to the previous owner. 
so there's there's a few of those boards there, but everything else is from my collection, and yeah, right around 120. And it's not just boards and planchettes. There's a lot more history no, to it than that. So there's a lot of ephemera. There's you know advertising, music, sheet music, uh, books, uh, things that the, you know the Ouija board or talking boards have kind of influenced uh, films and whatnot. So I try to give you a, a, a very broad uh, history of everything without getting too uh, caught up in the details, you know, very specific details that I could give. No, I, I, I when I visited in, in the fall, I, I came out very impressed. Um, the questions are obviously because I know the answers to some of them, because I've seen yeah. the museum. <laughs> the, would you carry, like, I mean, as far as you, you've got the Ouija boards or the, the talking boards, the various ones, do you carry, like, the the different ones, the spin-off stuff, like you know, the little little game with the uh, the dow, uh, the the pendulum for dowsing, and the, and the mystic eye, and and ones like that. Uh, I tend not to. I mean, in personally for collecting, no, I'm I'm drawn to talking boards, letters, numbers with uh, some kind of planchette uh, to move around. Uh-huh. There's a few variations of that dial plates. And things that you know, I do have in the collection. But in general, I just stay focused on talking boards. Um, okay. But I like to have those other things in the museum, so it gives people a view of what's going on. You know, there's, there's all these peaks and valleys of usage of people wanting to communicate with spirits. And you know, I don't want to just show the, the talking board. I want to show them that there are other devices pre Ouija board, you know, pre-1890, and also um, that continue to this day where uh, they're always being marketed for people to be able to uh, communicate with spirits. Right. What's your thoughts yeah. on the modern ones, these uh, Barbie doll ones and the glow-in-the-dark? Stop picking on my... I like that stuff. I mean, whether it's the, Thank the you. pink Ouija <laughs> that's being targeted towards kids or the glow-in-the-dark, I mean... I like that. You know, I like anything that's going to encourage uh, people to to use the board or to to buy it. Uh, I'm pretty much for it. Yeah. Did you like the uh, black light planchette in the? In the... <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I I like that personally. It's kind of a I throwback did. to yeah to the 1930s. They actually made a board for a short time that had a battery in it that would spark when it. Uh, went over letters and numbers, and you could oh, play wow. it in the dark. And uh, I thought that was its brilliant. It's, it's a very rare board from the 30s, and I like that they tried to do something similar to that. I think the, the planchette itself is a little wonky. It's a little kind of hard to maneuver, but um, yeah. I like the idea that they tried to, to the light-up planchette. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. So how did you get interested in Ouija boards? Uh, um, I... I was very close to my grandmother, and when she passed away, I inherited her Ouija board. And so I went online to try to find out more about it, and uh, I basically stumbled across this website called the Museum of Talking Boards. And uh, on there, the the curator, Gene, he had hundreds of boards uh, from all, you know, the whole, from the very beginning to now. And uh, I was fascinated because I had always thought that the Ouija board pretty much only looked one way, just like your typical kind of Parker Brothers look with the the people playing in the corners and the the sun and the moon. And um, going on that website and seeing all these different boards, 
really piqued my interest. And so at first I thought, oh, you know, I'll just pick up. I really, I was drawn to that Swami board that you were speaking of. And, ah, uh, you yeah. know, I'll get yeah. one of those. That looks really great. And it'll keep it company with my grandmother's board. And then just before you know it, like anything, I've collected plenty of things, in, you know, since I was a kid. Uh, you know, one becomes another, one becomes another one. And before you know it, it just gets out of control. But, um, you know, besides having that, that close connection with my, my grandmother, uh, inheriting her board, you know, as a little kid, I would see her using the board occasionally, and uh, there was always a mystery about that. I was never allowed to be in the room with her when she used the board, and um, she would use it so quick, she would yell out letters and numbers quicker than anyone could write down what she was yelling wow. out. And, uh, you know, so I would spy from the top stair or through the window, and... Um, you know, so I have fond memories of doing, of you know, watching her use it, and then inheriting her board, and then starting to learn all this history that comes with it, and uh, it just really fascinated with me. It fascinated me. I, I love hearing stories that people have, and I, I love that you know most people have some kind of experience with it, and I like the reactions you get from people, whether it's it's a silly game and it's the alphabet. How can it be spooky or scary? to, you know, extreme stories of, of people having these amazing um, experiences using the board. And uh, I just got very interested in, in the history of, of everything behind it. And so, um, well, yeah, it all stems from inheriting my grandmother's board. Oh, wow. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on the aspect of it, the evil part of it? Like, you know, I mean, Ro Rosemary Guiley, God bless her, um, came out with a book just was it about a year ago on uh, all basically all <laughs> terrible experiences on the Ouija board and uh, yet you have other people that just poo poo the whole thing I mean what's your thoughts on it um, well personally I don't I don't use the board I, I, I've never really been able to have uh, any kind really? of any kind of results using it um, but you know, I hear lots of stories, and I always tell people, I'm like, I have never heard a story where I thought the person wasn't telling me the truth. I might not believe that whatever they said happened, happened, but I certainly believe that they believe that they experienced whatever they did, um, whatever happened. And so, you know, I don't believe that when people have told me that, you know, it rains and it they used the board and it started raining in the house or they threw a board away and it came back or they burnt it and it still came back. And, you know, I don't believe those things can happen, but every time I've ever been told those stories, I definitely believe that the, the people believe they experience those things. Um, I like the mystery of the board. I don't, you know, I wouldn't want to pull back the curtain like the, like, you know, like the wizard or something, but I, I, I like the mystery of it. And I certainly, if you go with you're speaking to a spirit or you go with the route of it's the idiomotor response and that you're actually tapped into your subconscious, either way you, either way you want to explain it, when I talk about, you know, murders or suicides uh, from people that have used the board or you talk about, you know, books that have been written through correspondence with the Ouija board, however you want to explain how those happened, they're both pretty creepy, you know? And uh, right. I, I personally... You know, I, I, I like to think, you know, that there's spirits out there. Of course, I've never uh, had an experience to, to make me believe that there is, but I would like to think that that's what these are doing. Um, 
but you know, as far as if it is your subconscious you're tapped into, then um, you know there's still a lot of unexplained things that that have happened from people using the board, and um, I don't know. I just I like I like that part of it a lot. I'm really drawn to those stories. I know that you know uh, Steve and I are both uh, paranormal investigators and researchers, and we both have uh, boards that people have sent us with with these oh, yeah. stories, right, Steve? Oh, absolutely. I've got one. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, it's it's a fairly standard fold board, but it, it dates from 1944, and on the back of it, um, it's written in um, nail nail polish. A genie, genie for Russ. And it turns out that this, the backstory behind it is Russ was a GI. He'd been shipped out to Europe and never made it back. And she used the board um, after she heard that he, he'd been killed in Europe to try and um, get in touch with him, communicate with him. Mm-hmm. And the, the board had subsequently been become haunted and adapted as a, a portal for his spirit. And then, as she got older, this this she wanted rid of the spirit, rid of the board, and ultimately got rid of it, and ended up here. He ha- Russ hasn't has never turned up the. Uh, he, he didn't travel with the board, but no, he didn't visit good you. Story, it's a good story. <laughs> when I when I used to do, uh, uh, John, I used to do as part of the Festival of the Dead in Salem uh, every year. I used to do an event called Spectral Evidence at the Hawthorne. And uh, we did that for 13 years. And when I first, the first year I did it, uh, I would, I polled the audience. You know, it was about 100 people there. And I asked them, you know, who thought the Ouija boards were evil? And, and you probably got about 90% of that audience that the hands popped up. By the time I, I stopped doing it, which was about, you know, uh, I forget how many years ago, but uh, it was after 13 years anyways. And I'd, I, and I'd asked that question and, you know, it was probably about uh, 30, maybe 40 percent. Uh, but the best part, I love that pink Ouija board because I'd go behind the screen, come out and I said, how can this be evil? And I had my little <laughs> pink uh, Ouija board. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so it's, what, what's interesting is the cult, the, there's a big cultural difference um, in the way that the board is is approached between the UK and the USA. Because in the USA, of course, you can go into Toys R Us or one of the Halloween stores and you can buy Ouija boards. Um, you know, there's no shortage of them. In fact, while we were over there, um, my traveling companion, uh, Dylan, uh, yeah. got himself into trouble by buying one uh, from, from Game Store. Now, over here in the UK, and... But, um, we, we, you can't buy them. You you can't go into Toys R Us or uh, a toy store and buy a Ouija board. It would be, it would be like exposing yourself to your mother or something. It, you know, it would be a big crime. And yet, then, if you look at usage in the USA, they're almost you, you just don't see them on ghost investigations or um, in haunted houses. But in the UK, every paranormal team takes a Ouija board with them. It's it's a complete flip around both ways. Huh. That's interesting. So, I, I I wasn't aware that they weren't as accessible in the UK. Um, I figured by the certainly by the '60s when Parker Brothers is kind of taking uh, production over and making it more of a global brand. I knew they were produced in the UK, but I didn't realize that they were they weren't as accessible as they are here. 
I just figured that back in the nineteen sixties we had what we called dedicated games stores, and these sold jigsaws and box games, uh, Cluedo and Monopoly and um, puzzles. You would find Ouija boards there. Um, that that's about the only place you would find them. Um, but in the in the present, um, you know, I can walk into any Toys R Us in the USA and probably find a Ouija board. If there were any Toys R Us left in the USA. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we saw them in Walmart. We saw them in, you know, we saw them in the Halloween stores. The, the, there was any, if you want a Ouija board, uh, while we were in New England, we got one. You know, Dylan wanted one. We He, he got one. It would be extremely difficult, except using something online like Amazon or a specialist retailer in the UK to find one. You couldn't go into the high street or into town and find a Ouija board at any time of the year for any money. Wow. Wow. I mean, I I like that in the U.S. that um, they're so accessible. And I think, you know, if people use them or, you know, their first experience... I think that they're usually, you know, between, what, 12 and 16 years old, you know, because they're so accessible. I think that um, people have those experiences much younger. Mm-hmm. I'm still waiting for that wonderful uh, McDonald's uh, Happy Meal day with the little Ouija board in it. <laughs> <laughs> Someday they'll I, really make there, that. That would be there great. Was a, there was a... Ron, there was a game that was produced, a video game that was produced two or three years ago now called Ouija. Um, And as a a marketing uh, giveaway for the game, they produced the spoof McDonald's box. Um, Oh, they did? As a a promotional giveaway. They they only made a few of them, uh, one or two in each store. That would be Uh, cool. at, At the time, I was friendly with the manager of our local game, um, game store and pestered him and he got me a brand new one um, and it is it is that McDonald's uh, copy of the Happy Meal box that turns into a Ouija board it's very it good I, I actually have one as well uh, Robert Merch you do? One. yeah <laughs> I do I never, I've never put it together it's still, lay, it's still flat, you know, laying flat but um but yeah, I do have fun of those as well. The, <laughs> you have to make uh, friends with these people, Ron. I know it. I know it. I have to get out once in a while. I guess that's the, the deal <laughs> of it. Damn. But uh, I, Robert, uh, years back when when I first met him, uh, he, of course, he came up with his own uh, Ouija board as well with the uh, little tombstones on it. Uh, you must have yep. that, right? Oh yeah, Cryptique. Yeah, great planchette yeah, with that. I, I love that he used. Um, you know, an, an old style um, headstone from Salem. You know, with the mm-hmm. uh, the skull and crossbones on it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're coming up to break, so uh, we're gonna. Can you hold on? To... Absolutely. So, any. All right. So you're listening to Ghost Chronicles um, International. I've got to remember what show I'm doing now with Steve Parson and Ron Kolick, and our special guest tonight is John Kozik of the Salem Talking... No, wait a minute. Give it to me, John. Salem Witchboard Museum and the Talking Board Historical Society. No problem. There you go. We'll be right back after the following messages.
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. two of ghost chronicles international at a weird time because it's a lockdown special and we're talking tonight with the um the owner um curator of the uh, salem the salem witchboard museum in salem massachusetts opened six months ago fantastic place been there checked it out and highly recommend it john kozik good evening John, uh, good evening. <laughs> there you go, uh, Ron. Before, before, just before we uh, we we push on, John, uh, I just want to ask Ron, who's the show brought to us by? Ah, damn, did that again, didn't I? <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, three eighty six Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and of course, our good friends. I don't know how for how much longer if I keep forgetting them. The uh, lawyers at the Gallant Messier Family Law Group on uh, Four High Street on Route one fifty five in North Andover, Massachusetts. So, and for their go. generous support, we're eternally grateful. John, quick question for you: What's the most expensive? Because I know what you know. I know what collectors are like, and I know how much you end up paying for that one elusive item for the collection. So, what's the not most me. expensive item in the collection? No, not Too you, cheap. you cheapskate. Uh, the most expensive that I've ever spent, I I probably wouldn't feel comfortable telling you on the, on the radio. <laughs> okay, but um, I can I can tell you that's that a, um, that's a proper collector. There was a, there was one board that I I was really after uh, quite a bit. It's it's called the Electric Mystifying Oracle, and it's a it's a metal board that was produced in the 30s, and that's the one oh, I was wow. talking about with that uh, planchette that had a battery in it, and it would spark when it shot over um, these little points of contact on the board. And um, somebody and somebody an old a collector was selling his entire collection. He was getting out of uh, collecting, and he was basically going to retire and, and move away. And he had that board, and he would only sell the entire collection. He would not part any pieces out. Oh. So I actually bought all of his, his entire collection. It was... Oh, God bless you. Well, well over 200 boards, 
just just an amazing amount of, of things that we've never seen that he had pretty much the one and only in existence that we knew of. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so I, I did have to, and that was, that was in Florida, and uh, I sealed the deal on a Wednesday, sent him a cashier's check, and he said, oh, I can ship it, and I did not feel comfortable with that. Uh, Friday I got out of work, I picked up Robert Merch in Boston from work, and we drove straight oh, cool. to Florida to pick that collection up and uh, and come back with it. And so, uh, you know, I'll gladly tell you the extremes I go through <laughs> to buy boards, <laughs> uh, but that so you, board is... I don't know what the value. It's hard to put a value on certain things because, you know, what do you what do you value something that's never sold on eBay for? That there's only five or six known of. You know, you're you're basing the the value on what you think people will pay for it. People that who ha, you know who you have to know all the other collectors and know who has money, what they just bought, how much did they overspend, or did they have extra money lying around, or what part of the country are they in? Because the dollar goes further than other parts. So all these little factors kind of go into what you would put it on. To me, it's the most valuable board in my collection because when I try to put a number on what it would take for me to sell it, I'm not saying that's what it's worth, but what it's worth for me to sell it, that number is pretty ridiculous. And I think most people would be like, you're crazy for not wanting to sell it. But for me, I will probably never own another board. It'll be almost impossible to find that board again. Um, so that was my one chance, and so I, 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 I was able to to buy that collection. I, I sold quite a bit of it off so that I could not have paid so much for the things that I kept, um, you know, to offset it. But that's to me, that's the most valuable because it's it's my most prized possession. It's um, it's probably one of the hardest things for me to replace. Have you paid off your second mortgage spoken. for the house? Well, no, spoken like a true collector because if I think as all collectors would um, understand, if your partner ever found out how much you just spent on that new item. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I mean I do. I if there's something I want, I'm gonna get it and I'll spend for it. Uh-huh. And you know, I don't. Yeah, um, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the good thing now, to be honest with you, is. Now everything's an exhibit, so, you know, <laughs> anything that I buy, I can justify being like, oh, it's going in the That's museum, stuff. and well, people yeah. are going to enjoy it, and it's not just for me and sitting in my house, you know, it's actually out on display, it's for the public. So, so that makes it a little easier to, to spend some money for it. But, you know, as a collector, I've always been a guy that has um, been very motivated to uh, to buy and sell things, and so usually when I have a big purchase that I want, I offset it by selling things that I've, I've been able to make money on, you know, mm-hmm. records or other boards. So usually that's how I can justify it in my head. I'm not just shelling out a lot of money for something and being like, ugh. But, right. you know. No, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I think, I mean, Ron collects, I collect, um, and not just boards. And it, I, it, collecting is a disease. It's a very cool disease to have, um, but it's still a disease. You know, it when the, so that sad. gap, in, when that gap in the collection needs to be closed, and it comes up, that rarity, that one. <sighs> so, um, John, let me ask you this, uh, and and I, I've spoken to Brandon about it before, uh, Brandon Hodges, and he we. What came first, the planchette or the board? The, well, the, 
the planchette itself, the automatic writing planchette comes first. And that dates yes. back to roughly 1848 out of France. And the talking board kind of comes from an evolution of different things, uh, different communications, eventually going to people laying out an alphabet and trying to find, you know, point to certain letters to do it. And really when these two things, when the, when the talking board gets cross paths with that planchette, that's really how you get, or I'm sorry, once the alphabet board gets crossed with the planchette, that's how you get a talking board. Uh, but the right. planchette with it, with a pencil that you would put at the front of it where you, uh, a person would channel a spirit through themselves and either write or draw whatever came through them. That existed, you know, uh, roughly 50 years before the first patented um, talking board, Ouija, comes out. Mm -hmm. Now, there's so many people that, that they still play with the board now. I mean, uh, are you familiar with glass swirling? No, I don't think I am, no. But I was introduced that by uh, an English team that I brought over from the UK. And, and then we apologize uh, for that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's basically you just turn a glass upside down, you put your finger on it, and, and uh, you basically it acts like a, a pendulum where you ask yes and no questions or, or directions and so forth. Well, people have moved that up to the point where now they're they're printing – uh, pretty much like they did with the first planchettes. They they print uh, cards out, put them on the edge of the tables with letters on them so they can spell out things or, or they actually paint it on the table or whatever. So it, you can see that uh, evolution all over again. In, yeah. in just yeah, a but, different but, but Ron, if I can, yes, if I can just Ron, jump in yes. this. But Ron, but Ron. Uh, this glass swirling was actually, it, it's a very modern creation. It's within the last 20 years and was it almost. No, 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 no. I have to def different. Yeah, different with I, you on that. Uh, hang on, I haven't finished yet. Okay. Um, and it's, it's born out of this, this scarcity of Ouija boards in the UK. Okay. We didn't have them. We so so the the what we used to do as a kid, I made Ouija boards, and how we made uh, Ouija boards in the UK as children um, was we would cut out or write letters onto bits of paper or card and put them around the edge of a table, and then get an upturned wine glass or tumbler, and then lay our fingers on uh, the upturned glass. Right. And that's where glass swirling comes from, and it's it's it comes from the lack of commercial Ouija boards or right, the you easy said availability. Years and, well, and in, in, I know in terms that it, of, it dates in terms prior of, to yeah, that. No, in terms of popularity, mm -hmm. it then starts to appear on Most Haunted, and the reason for that um, appearance um, or lack of appearance of a Ouija board is that there was a broadcasting problem. The broadcasters were nervous about showing Ouija boards on <laughs> on television. And I was actually on a show called I'm Famous and Frightened, which was running Should alongside be. Most Haunted. Um, and they did, with the medium Ian Law Lawman, the f UK's first broadcast Ouija board. Oh, wow. Um, and that was in, what, 04, 05? Um, so prior to that, is, this is why we have the glass swirling. A, because we couldn't afford Ouija boards, or we could afford them, we couldn't buy them um, easily. And we we were all, you know, making our own back in the 60s and the 70s uh, by putting letters around the edge of a table. 
So I'm going to go back to John, and you know they've come out with a couple of movies because uh, um, Robert has has worked on on probably oh, yeah. I think all of them. oh yeah, <laughs> and it's it, the they always make them so you know they're they're always evil or always horrible. Do you know any movies where it's just taken as you know like an everyday occurrence? It's not like it's a big deal. No, I think when when you look back, and I, I don't know, off the top of my head, I cannot think of a movie that it's used as um, more of a friendly correspondence or, or anything. But I, I think when you when you look back to um, like the 40s and I Love Lucy and different episodes of TV where they've had Ouija boards on there, uh, they've definitely been more lighthearted uh, and not uh, a tool mm-hmm. of the devil, so to speak, or evil in any way. Um, you know, so the, the the viewing of that, of certainly with movies, has has definitely shifted to um, you know horror movies embracing them. Right. I can think of one episode of Scooby Doo, the cartoon Scooby Doo, that features oh. them using a Ouija board. Okay. I haven't seen. They, there is an episode of Scooby Doo with one. There is an episode of Scooby Doo where they use a Ouija board, and um, the, I've screen I screenshotted it. Um, of last year because they showed it on children's television in the morning on a Saturday morning. And really? You, you've got Scooby and the gang all around the table using a Ouija board. Um, it's the first time I've ever seen it on a children's cartoon. What, one of my most famous li- uh, favorite lines, excuse me, uh, from uh, movies or TV shows was when Downton Abbey had come out. And Downton Abbey, they were all, the kitchen staff was in the kitchen table doing the Ouija board. And the, the head cook was there, and she made him break it up. And the, the young one came up to her, and she says, what's the matter? Don't you believe, uh, believe in spirits? And, she's, and the cook says, yes, I believe in spirits, but I don't believe they play games. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy sorry about that um, no, that's okay. yeah and uh, then there's that other one that came out <laughs> excuse me uh, Witchboard do you remember Witchboard oh sure that's I think Witchboard is uh, definitely the the biggest inspiration for a lot of the collectors I know uh, getting into collecting Ouija boards is from that movie. Uh, that is a, a, definitely a, a soft spot in a lot of collectors' hearts, for sure. Uh, Tawny Katane, and, um, yeah, that's kind of like the first, you know, big horror movie with a, uh, with a Ouija board in it, for sure. Didn't it also feature in an episode of Columbo? I don't know that. I'm fairly sure there's an episode of Columbo that features a Ouija board as well. Okay, and the uh, the witchboard. I actually I have uh, one of the theatrical uh, posters from that uh, witchboard, but they never came out with a witchboard on that. Is that is that true, or, or am I mistaken, John? Never came out with with an actual witchboard. Is that what, yes. what you asked? Yes, uh, they 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 did um, not a mass produced one. They they did a couple for uh, promotions for the movie. Uh, and then when the D, when the VHS came to video stores and things like that, where they actually took the artwork used from the film and, and put it on there, they were never like big mass produced boards, but they do they do exist. Um, oh, they do. Yeah, yeah they do. Yep. Were I any never boards ever. Them, but... I was going to say, were any boards ever produced for um, The Exorcist? 
No, no. I mean, so in in that movie, they used a, um, uh, I forget if it's a Parker Brothers or William Fold board. They used a, a real uh, mm-hmm. brand, you know, official brand Ouija, but there was never uh, an exorcist uh, so, board put out. So, so, so that was just a movie prop. It was never, uh, they never exploited that as a correct. Merch. That's a shame. It's a shame. Correct, and they, as far as I know, I could be a little off on this, but I believe that they actually, because you know they use the Ouija logo on the, uh-huh. in okay. they they show it on film, and to do that you have to get permission to to do that. And um, uh-huh. so actually, it was William Fold. It was a William Fold board because um, I believe Merch has talked about correspondence between uh, the Exorcist producers, or you know, and William Fold as giving permission for them to. Um, to use the board, you know, to show the logo. Because any other time, if you're watching a movie or a TV show and they use a talking board, you'll most of the time they'll just blur out the Ouija since it's a, a trademarked brand. Um, right. You know, but it, but that they did use it. They did use a uh, an official Ouija board. Yeah. So do you collect all this Ouija paraphernalia that they have, like Ouija cups, Ouija <laughs> tins, Ouija whatever underwear? <laughs> My fault. Not to cough. Yeah, see, it's catchy. It is. <laughs> no, I mean, I I don't collect a lot of the tchotchkes, you know. I don't right. need scarves and socks and things like that. But oh, I shit. do like I like the ephemera. I like you know advertising, uh, sheet music, which existed like by the 1920s. It was <laughs> yes, really that's right. It was yeah. popular to um, back then. They didn't record the songs. They would you know a pop a popular song would be put onto um, sheet music. And the family would, you know, buy it and Friday, Saturday night at home, they would sit around the piano and, and play and sing these songs about the Ouija board. Um, so there's, you know, a half, about a dozen or so songs about the, the Ouija board that only exist as uh, sheet music. So things like that, you know, I like to collect um, the the off the, the, the weird stuff, not just boards and planchettes. Um, I'll even, you know, collect uh, press photos or uh Anytime there was like a Ouija murder or any kind of like um, story where the Ouija board made the news, you know, collecting uh, the photographs, the, the original um, press photos from that or newspaper articles and everything. So I try to – collecting boards is, is hard enough. <laughs> so I, I try to collect <laughs> does, other stuff as well. Does the collection reflect the fact that – I mean, because I – one of the things I always thought was really cool was when Parker Brothers shifted production to Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, I mean, have you have you followed that up and done anything relating to the manufacturer of the boards in Salem? Oh yeah, I mean, so in in the Salem Witchboard Museum, one of the prized possessions there is um, an original printing plate that was used uh, by Parker Brothers in Salem to produce the board and. Um, you know, it's one of only just a few that are known still to exist, and uh, it has the history of, you know, not only being made in Salem, but a piece that most that was never meant to, to last long. It was just, those were discarded after, you know, 100,000 impressions or, or whatever it was. And so, um, so the fact that it still exists now, you know, some, uh, you know, 60 years, 60 years uh-huh. later, um, it's pretty pretty impressive, and the fact that it to me, I I'm drawn to it because it's local history for me. Not only museum oh, yeah. there, yeah, yeah. you know, I've always been uh, drawn to Salem, and I live very close by. Uh, so to have that local history as well, um, 
yeah, so that, that's that's the the Parker Brothers part of what we have. And, and when when people come in and we talk about Parker, because Parker Brothers Factory is very close to where the museum is. Uh, they were on Bridge Street and we're on Essex Street, so it's literally a stone's throw away um, where the where the factory used to be. And Merch has, has been able to talk to people that worked at Parker Brothers uh, over the years and collected stories from them. And I relay some of those stories to people where um, they'll, you know, certain employees would say that other employees wouldn't work the day the Ouija board was being made, that they were too spooked <laughs> to, to come in. And uh, so I love those kind of stories. I love that, you know, you know, when you talk about people's beliefs and what, when they see these boards on the wall, uh, and some people feel things when they come in the room. Other people uh, can't, you know, they can't even come in the room. They have such a, 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 a strong uh, feeling in their chest, you know, and then other people don't feel mm -hmm. anything. So, you know, one of the stories I like to tell is in Salem where, you know, you got, you know, you've both been to Salem plenty of times that, you know, you're living amongst witches and Satanists and people that have come here to celebrate and you kind of seen everything, so to speak, you mm -hmm. know. And I think it's really fascinating to, to think that a local, somebody that works at Parker Brothers, uh, that that's where they draw the line, that that's, no, I can't come into work today. <laughs> this is, the alphabet's coming off this assembly line, and I, I can't possibly work today. Uh, I don't know. I think, that's, I think that's really, whether you believe the board works or not, the board has a power over people, for sure. You know, whether oh, they, sure. they claim to have these experiences, or this person didn't have an experience. They didn't touch the board there just can't be in the room with it where it's the alphabet's even coming off the the machine so um i i love that part of uh the story you know i, I love the that that mystery and certainly people's beliefs about the boards and uh yeah even even in salem even at the factory people still were affected by it do you want to add another little story about the factory yeah uh, about when I first started Ghost Chronicle years ago, uh, probably probably close to 20 years now, um, I had Christian Day and Sean Poirier on the show. And Sean said, he says, Ron, I want you to let you know, he says, we have a friend that works at the, uh, the, the factory where they make the Ouija boards. And uh, he, has, he does this little thing where he activates some of the boards on their way out of the door. So it's supposedly magically activated so that they would work really good <laughs> so so he would secretly activate some of the boards before they went out <laughs> Ooh, was he like Willy Wonka of the uh, Ouija board production yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> that that was uh Sean had told me that did you uh, did you know Sean I, I, I don't know Sean I know I know Christian I don't know Sean though okay yeah, that's uh, he. He passed away years ago, but uh, yeah. In fact, when I did my first uh, conference, which is probably two thousand seven, maybe uh, maybe earlier than that, uh, Robert Murch uh, gave us a whole. That was at uh, the Hooten Mansion in North Adams, and and Robert gave us a a whole bunch of uh, of his uh, cryptic boards as for. Uh, an event we did there for the event, we we gave out them as prizes and stuff. So that was pretty cool. That was like years ago, but anyways, and I'm the only one that ended up with none. <laughs> so <laughs> well, Merch has Merch has been around a long time, and he's he's done a lot of research and a lot put in a lot of hours. Uh, you know, really 
figuring out these stories and, and mm. meeting with people and traveling everywhere. And um, he's really the guy that's like the, the inspiration for me, certainly a mentor to me, uh, who has kind of like built this um, this family. How did you of, meet him, John? How did I meet him? Um, yeah. uh, he was running a collector's page on Facebook. And so after I looked up my grandmother's board, I'd probably collected about 20 or so boards and uh, I found this collector's group. It was a private closed group and um, sent a message. You know, you have to answer questions as to why you should be accepted or, you know, what do you what do you <laughs> believe? And, and uh, he was the guy he wrote back. And turns out he's right down this pretty much right down the street from me. I mean, 20 minutes away, you know. And mm-hmm. um, so we ended up meeting up pretty quick after that. And, uh, yeah, we became very good friends and used to, when he was living in Massachusetts, we'd be able to, meet for breakfast and meet fairly often and um cool. now unfortunately he's moved out to denver so i miss him but um yeah i still talk to him just about almost every day i try to send you know talk to him but um really great guy and very thankful for meeting him and really changing the course of, of my life you know as far as becoming in the a member of the talking board historical society and really you know pursuing that passion that I had for things and really directing it uh, with a group of people that are all like-minded, you know, and he really introduced me to all those people from Jason Rubito. I didn't know him until I met Merch. Um, and, you know, everyone else that's in the TBHS met through Merch. You know, Merch is the, the person that connects us all, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, Steve, you met him up at Spiracos a couple of years ago. Do you remember? I've had that good fortune, yeah. yeah. Um, He's a good, that- real good guy. Was that second or third Spirit Quest? I remember. I remember the uh, having a long talk to him um, while he was setting up and packing up yeah. and listening to and, his talk. But anyways, John, I know uh, if people want to find out more about you, do you have a website or anything they can reach you at? Or uh, best thing to do, I mean, for the Salem Witchboard Museum, we have an Instagram page and we also have a Facebook page, and then uh, for the Talk More Historical Society, we're just tbhs dot org. Um, and again, we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. So that's that's probably the best place to to be able to find find you know what I'm up to. All right. So I assume that your your museum is closed now because of all this stuff that's going on, yeah. right? Yep. Unfortunately, and I just don't know. Like anybody, we just don't know when when right. it's going to reopen. You know, I'm ready to go as soon as I get the okay, and we'll do whatever we need to do to to stay in the guidelines. But uh, yeah, right now. Just sitting on, just just collecting more stuff until I can until I can change out of canvas, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Maybe, so maybe one of the board, maybe one of the boards might have the answers to when this lockdown's coming off. Oh, there you That's go. True. <laughs> I got to go up there. I have to go up to Salem to to try one out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's the uh, the bell, which means we've got to wrap it up. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add, uh, John? No, just that I really appreciate you, you give me an opportunity to, to come on. Um, I don't do a lot of interviews. I've never, I haven't, just haven't been able to do them. And I really appreciate being able to, to come on and talk to you guys. And I'm glad, you know, uh, that you've both, or, you know, I'm glad that, uh, Steve, you've been to the museum. And, and hopefully, Ron, next time when we're open, please come by. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I can uh, thoroughly recommend it. Yeah, we can thank Robert for you and I uh, having this conversation right now. So, uh, but anyways, uh, so nothing else you want to add. And 
how long you i mean your where's your address what address is it on uh, in salem street i mean no, in essex street is it yeah 127 essex it's basically down by the hawthorne it's uh actually oh, okay. in the same building as remember salem so uh where they run the oh, salem yeah. uh ghost tours the night tours yep uh yep yep so i'm in that i'm in that building you have to go into the looks like a harry potter store you go to the uh, cash register, uh, to the cashier, and they allow you into this back room. That's there. I it's love it. Like it's a speakeasy. It's kind of like a speakeasy, you know, uh, which yeah, I love. Say the that's a secret word. Ron, you have to kind of know where you're going to back. get there. Don't you remember, Ron, after I'd come back and I said, guess what I found at the back of the Harry Potter shop? <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you meant behind the Perry Harrow stuff. What do I know? No, it, yeah, anyway. it's in the store, so that's great. I, I, I like it personally. That it's that you have to like kind of be in the know, or you have to like be willing to, yeah, to hunt was, a little bit it for was, it. It was a cool secret. I was, it was it, it was an accidental find because my daughter's a big fan of Harry Potter, um, yeah. and I'd gone in there looking for a souvenir, and then discovered the museum, which is quite a lot of time. So, anyways, coolest yeah, thing that, to find. Don't forget, I got I got you uh, that wonderful uh, Ouija board you for did. your daughter. From, you did. Uh, yeah, the anyway. supernatural one. Supernatural. Anyways, we're out of time, so we got to go. John, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Thanks, thanks, John. Thank you all thanks, for Steve. listening. Thanks, Ron. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron, and we'll be talking to an archaeologist talking about some of the stone structures, the mysterious stone structures in New England. Good night and God bless, everyone. Good night and God safe. bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law. It's the 